is that there's a huge there's huge support for the BNP in in the Essex area. There's a lot of racism in in that part of Essex. You know, why would you as a British Asian go and play there? And I just you know what when when people say stuff like that to me and, and I hear this sort of thing, it, it's it's a crazy thing, but it gives me more enthusiasm and more, more motivation to go there and actually shine a light and you know just basically display what someone from the Asian community can bring to any club. There are more Asians involved in football than you would expect. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on the Our Game 2 podcast as we celebrate the ones that are and discuss the ones that aren't. Hello Z, how you doing? Very well man, very well. Excited about today, you know. Uh, yes, it's going to be very exciting. This is someone that we wanted to have on the podcast from the very beginning. We didn't think we're ready. To be honest, I'm not sure I'm ready now, but we. But here we're going. We're going to do it. Listen, it's been an interesting week in football. There's been the Anton Ferdinand documentary. There's been the FA response to that. Kane has come out and said he, he believes football players should still continue to take the knee. We've had kick it out. Have um, they've they've got. Uh, an affiliation, I'd watch, I don't know what it's called, a collaboration with an accountancy firm that's going to look at numbers for them. Did you Have you heard about that? It's Forensics Accountancy or something is the name of the company. No, I haven't heard about that, but it sounds sounds interesting. We'd like to, need, uh, we'd like to know more about that, actually. Yeah, because something that Sanjay said when we interviewed him is like, before you can really tackle something, you need to know exactly what the problem is. So one of the things is, Let's look at stats, get stats on on the diversification of players and staff and employees, etc. And once you've got that, you can then analyze that. So they this particular accountancy firm, they're going to do pro bono work with Kick It Out and and they they will help them with that. So it's bringing sort of a corporate outlook to football, which is which is always a good thing, right? Data is key right now, right? And it, there's uh, so much they can learn from that you, data that you get. So anything that helps uh, shape shape the future for the better is always going to be a good thing. Okay, I agree. All right, perhaps we'll get Sanjay back on and, and ask him a little bit more about that. But without further ado, let's move on to our very special guest. So he is the first Asian to captain... A, a domestic team to domestic honours. He's the first Asian footballer to captain a league team. I believe he's also the first Asian to coach a professional team in England. And he's currently the highest Asian coach in, well, in English football, in English pyramid. He's the assistant manager of Aldershot and he's also the F- Fans for Diversity campaign manager at the FSA, the Football Supporters Association. Anwar, how are you doing? Doing very, very well. And um, yeah, excited to, to be chatting to both of you today. Yep, listen, the, the, trust me, the pleasure is all ours. So, Anwar, where do we start? Okay, so actually, why don't you tell us what your... How, actually, I'm going to ask you this. You're doing a lot at the moment. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. We'll delve into it deeper and we'll also try and figure out how you're managing to fit it all in. 
Well, um, as, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm very privileged to be the assistant manager at Aldershot Town Football Club. Uh, we are in the National League. That's uh, a fantastic club with great history. Um, obviously, it's great to be here coaching and managing a, a terrific club. I'm also the Vaz Diversity campaign manager for the Football Supporters Association. Um, I do have to take a deep breath when people actually ask me, um, oh, what are you doing with yourself now? Because it, it does need a couple of sentences. But um, I put myself into a, a very privileged position. I love what I do. I'm passionate about the game. I've been involved in the game since I left secondary school, you know, in, in the mid-90s. And I'm also passionate about inclusion, equality, diversity. And I'm just grateful that I have the opportunity to actually make an impact in the game, to work with football fans all over the country, to try and make the game as inclusive as possible, to work with the communities, to bring them closer to the football clubs, really just look at the game holistically and seeing what we can do to try and make it for everyone. It's, an, it's something, football is something that's given me an amazing life. I, I genuinely am so thankful to the game because I've experienced some amazing things. I've been around the world. I've, I've seen, I've felt, I've smelt some just incredible things. And you know, for me, I want everyone to be able to have the opportunity to, to embrace what it is just like I have. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. There are some people that have um, been alienated from the game. I think we've had issues where I think we've, you know, almost missed a couple of generations of, of potential players, coaches and volunteers and people that would just watch football. So it's important that that changes. It's important that we improve things. And um, I want to continue to be a positive role model for, for the Asian community. That, that, that's what I've been doing my whole life. And I'm just grateful that I'm able to continue to do that um, today. I think you're without doubt the highest profile Asian in football. And I don't just mean as a former player and as a coach, but in terms of everything that you're involved in. Um, and it's all so positive. It's, uh, and it, I'm, I'm assuming it takes a whole heap of energy. We'll come back to that in a second. There obviously are quite a few Asians involved in football in different levels. And we've got everything from Sanjay, who we mentioned, who's head of Kick It Out. Then you've got journalists, there's there's some players, etc. But without doubt, I think if anyone thinks about Asians in football, the vast majority of people are going to picture you. So let's start. Well, I mean, we've already discussed earlier in earlier episodes the barriers and obstacles to Asians in football so we're not going to go into those in any great depth at all but we'd really like to hear your story and as you tell us your story if if anything around those barriers and obstacles is relevant please do share it with us we may ask from time to time but like I said it's more really about about your story so tell us about football how did you get into football as a youngster? Well, I mean, it's always something I love doing. Um, when you grow up in the East End of London, um, you know, in the 80s, it's, you know, it's, it's a, a place where there's not really much to do other than play football, hang around the streets, be with your friends. Um, and luckily for me, football is something that I just love to, to do. Um, played it all the time. Uh, a younger brother, and we always seem to, have a ball you know whenever my mum and dad gave us money it always was spent on a ball and, and back in the day I used to buy these one pan balls that used to used to kick and they used to just go miles like the little plastic ones so yeah. I think over the course of my 
you you find up spending about a million pound in one pound balls. Um, should have invested in a in a better one, but that was the whole the whole thrill of it. it. Just you know, just playing football, your own will. You know, you could play on the streets for hours and hours and hours. And to be honest, I never ever thought it would amount to anything uh, substantial. If I'm honest, it was just something I genuinely did for fun. And you always enjoy something when you're good at it. Uh, and I ended up going to um, primary school and secondary school where they had a team. So I played in the team and my primary school was terrible. Um, I just still loved playing and I was good. And all of a sudden, overnight, things got just really crazy. I um, ended up getting picked to play for the district team. Then for the Which county. Which area was this? So where did, yeah. you, where did you grow up? I know it's East End. No, I was... I was in. I grew up in in Whitechapel. Uh, right. so I played for Tower Hamlets. I went to I went to Stuart Headland Primary School, then then Rains Foundation. But all of a sudden, I was being picked for the district team, playing a couple of games, scoring loads of goals, doing really well. Picked for the uh, county team, played a few games, did did really well. The county manager actually asked me to play a year above myself. So for London, I played with Ashley Cole and Ledley King, and I was a year year below. And all of a sudden, you know, it started to get a little bit serious. And I love that competitive nature. I love the fact that all the best players from around the district were competing. The best players in London were competing. But even at that level, I just still thought it was fun. Um, and all of a sudden, overnight, I literally had every football club turning up at my house, contacting me, speaking to my father. And, and the reason I say it was fun was because... My dad was a, was a hardworking man who came over here from Bangladesh and he was oblivious to my relationship with football because he worked so hard. I hardly saw him be working um, you know, in a restaurant and in a factory, He'd come home late at night. And as long as I was happy and I was you know, doing well at school, he was, he was good. But all of a sudden, everyone started to knock on the door. You know, I had Arsenal, West Ham, Tottenham, Norwich, you know, all these teams asking if we can have a, a meeting with a family and would I be interested in, in signing for these teams? And my dad was like, what, what have you been up to? Like, when you leave the house, where do you go? Like, what do you do? Um, and it became very, very serious all of a sudden. Um, and I just wanted to enjoy it. I just wanted it, I just wanted it to be something that was, was always fun. Um, and then my parents and my family started to get a bit more involved and it did become a little bit more serious because ultimately I had to, had to choose a team to play for um but you know what I look back at that time and that was for me when football was just beautiful because the minute it did get a bit serious my family got more involved then that's when for example I started to have some negative experiences I remember my dad coming to a few games and watching and to me I you know I, I didn't know that there were hardly any Asian players playing football I didn't even realize that football was a viable career but when you go into games, the way people look at you, how they speak to you, the, the words and, and the things you hear about me and my father watching, the experience became uncomfortable. Um, uncomfortable to a point where I used to just say to my dad, don't come, don't come, because I felt like, you know what, people are not very nice. You know, when I turn up for a team, they were more interested in who's this Asian kid and who's this Asian man standing on the side of a pitch. Um, so I used to actually, I used to tell my dad not to come and I used to lie. So I used to play away every week when I was actually playing around the corner because I just wanted to concentrate on my football because I realised I was very, very good at this. And I was playing against teams and playing in games where I was thinking, I'm the best player here. You know what? This, this could be something that 
that can take on. And um, I remember the 1990 World Cup in, in Italy. That was when I really fell in love with the game because for me, it just felt like something like, like an opera scene. You know, you had Pavarotti singing, you had Scalaccia, you had Lineker. The whole thing was just magical for me. And I felt to myself, wow, like that is what I want to do. You know, if, if people said to me, what did you want to be? As a young kid, you have no idea. But those experiences and then watching football more closely as a kid, yeah, I thought this is exactly what I want to do. And you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes to um, to, to, to get to that level. So, yeah, it got very serious. And just, um, Sorry, just, Anwar, it, just, just before you move on. Um, so, I mean, when you were playing for the district team, let's start with the district team. Were there many or any other Asians in a district team? To be honest, the only Asian players I came across playing when I was young were players from my own school, with predominantly an Asian school. I went on to a secondary school, which was predominantly white school in Bethnal Green. Um, when I left school, I didn't play with or against hardly any Asian players, other than at school, um, from the age of about 12 until I remember playing for West Ham against Fulham. I come out in the changing room uh, on the way to a, an under-19 game and I bumped into Zestrin for the first time. He was the first British-Asian player I saw in a football environment for about five years. We had a young lad at West Ham who was uh, an age, uh, I think he was an, a year younger than me, called Abdul Koya, brilliant player. Um, I thought he'd be someone that would go on to get a, uh, an apprentice. But he got released from the club. Um, but actually, yeah, for, for that amount of time, five, six years, it was it was crazy just to never really come across another player, even, you know, at, at district and county level, um, which which confused me. But looking back now, I'm glad I was a little bit oblivious around the statistics and the numbers and actually the reasons why. Yeah, I know. I can, I can I, look, I fully get that. I'm just also wondering you were able to still play and I guess get to games, but to ask your dad to stay away, that, I mean, how tough was that conversation? Oh, it was ridiculous. I mean, it wasn't really a conversation because my dad, you know, he was a busy guy um, and he'd come to games and it, and it was quite embarrassing, like in terms of, you know, because take away the fact that, you know, some of the inappropriate language that you'd hear, the offensive words that you'd hear and, and you would hear it. And it was, de- it, was, it was devastating to me because you just want to go and play football. It's something you love and you enjoy. But then you're always fearful or mindful of how people are going to react to you, how they're going to treat you. Because it, if I'm honest, sometimes I felt like a little bit of a circus act. I was, I was a lot bigger than everyone at my age. I was really tall uh, for, for, for a 12, 13, 14-year-old. And I was Asian. And they, I had a Muslim name. And people were just like, oh, who's this kid? And it was almost like I say, like something I'd never seen before. But yeah, I mean, like my dad would just, you know, he'd come to the change rooms and he'd, he'd sort of try and motivate the team and speak to the players, which you shouldn't do as a parent. You stand where the parents stand, you let the coaches do what they do. But my dad didn't know anything about the environment. No one told him how grassroots works. He didn't know. He just, you know, wanted to make sure I was okay and the team were playing well. And um, the whole thing about football and, and Football from a kind of more structured environment was was new to us as a family, and um, like I said, I, you know, he'd come and watch, and he'd, he'd be there and, and come in and, and say stuff in the changing room, etc. And 
you hear words, who's that, and some of the terminology around describing me and my father at a young age, it's devastating to hear that sort of stuff. Um, so what I thought to myself was, you know what, like, it's tough for him to come because he's working, he's got a lot on. I would rather just go and play football, do what I have to do and go home um, because I know where I need to go. I know what I want to do. And when you're playing at county level, when you start to get into the environment, when you're at West Ham or professional level, yes, you're young, but you know what? It's a job. It's part of the process. Like I'm here to prove that I'm the best. I'm here to get better. Um, so yeah, at, at a young age, I just tried to just get on with it and kind of, and, and I thought that would alleviate all the other issues around worrying, you know, is my dad all right? Is my dad okay? Is he okay? Is he fine? Is he okay? Is anyone say anything to him? Um, I just didn't want that added hassle. And I look back now and it's crazy, but that was a sign of the times. And I've got two boys now who, who play football, who play grassroots football. Listen, there's nothing stopping me supporting them, watching them and being part of their development. But actually in the early nineties in East London, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a conducive environment for for everyone to go and feel like they could just just be a be a dad. Go and be a dad and watch your kid, you know, without you know people saying stuff on the sidelines, etc. And listen, it was extremely disappointing. I think I've kind of carried those feelings throughout my whole life because for me, like I said, like football has been amazing to me. It's given me a life that I could only dream of. But how many kids? How many fathers and mothers? How many young boys and girls have missed out on that opportunity? just because of other people's ignorance and I think a lot have so for me it's about making sure that that we try and change that and that don't happen anymore um and that's listen that's not going to happen overnight and don't get me wrong I'm not talking about something that would happen every single week because it wouldn't but sometimes when it happens once or twice that can have quite a, a profound impact on, on an individual um, and dictate the way you feel and think for for a long while after. So, listen, it, it made me the man I am today. So, you know what? I'm grateful for, for everything good and bad that's happened. But, um, you know, away from the negativity, because, listen, there was some, but it, I had a great time. I loved playing football. I played with some world-class players as a kid. I did really, really well. And to have, you know, the opportunity to literally choose a team to go to um, was 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 an amazing position for a young kid to be in, and um, the only place I wanted to be at was West Ham United because we literally had the best kids in the country at that time, and and I wanted to be around the best. Cool. Okay. So thanks for that. And so, all right. So how did you get into West Ham? So, like I said, yeah, um, playing football. Uh, I had oh, I played for a Sunday league team in, in South London, played for district, played for county, and I, I ended up playing a year above myself. Like I said, I was a lot, a lot bigger than, than kids my year. And then I started to just have conversations with quite a few clubs. They wanted me to sign for them. I'd go and meet them. We'd have discussions around what their training ground was like, what they thought of my playing style and how they wanted to develop me. You know, I had some really good conversations with different clubs and and I remember going to Upton Park and, and watching West Ham versus QPR. And I'm only a young kid talking. I'm, I'm, I'm a 13-year-old boy. And, you know, you got to meet the manager. You got to meet the players. Um, Harry Redknapp and Tony Cotty were talking about why I should sign for the club. Um, all my friends in my class supported West Ham. And I'm sitting there as a, as a young British Asian boy from Stepney thinking, wow, this Premier League club, my local club, want me to sign for this now for them 
and 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 what they're doing they're not just saying here's a contract sign it'd be great to have you here they're literally they're, they're doing everything they can and i remember at the same time uh, playing with joe cole for for my county and um uh, he was just on another planet and he was at west ham he'd been there for a few years by then and um he said to me look and while we want to be the best team in the country but we're missing someone with a bit of heart someone with a bit of strength and and you'd be perfect for us. And like I said, you know, when they treat you that well, when they make you feel so welcome, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a no-brainer. I mean, I look back now and it's to go to other clubs. Maybe if I'd have gone to a smaller club, I would have got into a first team or a club that didn't have as much success. But the memories that I, that I had and, and, and the experiences that I shared with some of the world-class players at, at the seven-year period I was at West Ham was something that I can always keep. Um, and I'm, so I have no regrets. But yeah, that was my destiny. I chose to go to West Ham. Mate, I've got to ask at this point, because just as a West Ham fan, look, it's not just because I'm a West Ham fan, but just as a football fan, I think Joe Cole's the greatest player I have seen in my lifetime, English player in real life. When I've seen him, he's just been outstanding. Was Was he that good? Was he as good as a kid? How was it playing with him? You know what? Joe was on another level. He seriously was on another level. I mean, you know, the West Ham squad that we had as kids and that we grew up together with, you know, Joe Cole, Michael Carrick, Jermaine Defoe, Glenn Johnson, you know, a couple of years above us, we had Rio, we had Frank, a few years below, Glenn Johnson, uh, Jermaine, Leon Britton, Jermaine Defoe. Like, we were just, we were just, it was amazing. Like, the amount of ability and quality at that club was, was just, you know, to train with those players every single day. It was amazing, but Joe was just simply on another planet um, to the point where I, I actually felt like, see how every, everyone regards Lionel Messi. We look at Messi and we say, is he the greatest? Is he the greatest? You, you know, people make comparisons to Ronaldo. People talk about Maradona and Pele. I genuinely, and I'm not just saying it because he's a friend and a teammate, I genuinely thought he would be at that level because we would play games and as a centre-half, he would make it boring for me because, you know, we'd be five new up at half time and Joe would score five and he'd be flicking it over people's heads and nutmegging players and scoring from different levels. And yeah, listen, just an absolute privilege to play with and an honour to call him a friend. Sorry, that was my fanboy coming out. I apologise for that. <laughs> right. OK, so how what was it like to captain that team then? Yeah, as I say, listen, um, it was amazing because... I'm talking about all these lads and they are quality, but you know, one thing that I learned from, from Hey Redknapp, actually, he always used to say to me, he said like, and what we have, we need piano players and piano pushers. You can't have a team full of players with silky skills. You need a team that's got a balance between hard work, quality, skill, all the ingredients to make a successful team. And um, I think technically I'd, I would admit and acknowledged that, you know, I wasn't at the level of a Michael Carrick or a Joe Cole, but to be honest, not many were. But those boys needed to be protected. You know, we needed a, bit, a solid foundation and we had other players that I've not even named that were, were absolutely brilliant. And I think the combination just worked really, really well. And um, listen, if anyone kicked Joe or Michael, then I was, I was after him. So... I had to look after him. So it was, it was like being their bodyguard for a couple of years, but it and was, uh, it was a great up. job. 
it was a great it was a great time doing that. But like I said, it was just about you know the club wanted to build a team that had a little bit of everything, and um, I bring something that the other players didn't to the table. You know, I was a leader. I was very vocal. I played with my heart on my sleeve. I gave everything I got because ultimately, for me, it was a privilege. You know, and I felt like every single time I put the claret and blue on, like what a what an unbelievable opportunity! And I'm going to make the most of this time. And um, and I felt like it was an environment where all the players made each other better. Um, it was so elite, and um, yeah, great, great, great time. And listen. You look at Michael Carrick, you look at Joe Cole, Defoe, Jono, Rio, Lampard. <laughs> if only West Ham kept them all together, God, we could have had a little bit of a uh, a kind of Man United decade. Yeah, alas, never mind. <laughs> maybe it's not destined to be. Maybe, maybe now things have started to change a little bit with the amount of money in the game. Let's see if we can keep hold of Rice and build a team around him, but... All right, so uh, so what happened with West Ham? So you're the captain of that youth winning team. Some of them obviously made it through to the first team. Did you did you feel that you could if you'd waited, or were you keen to get first team football elsewhere? What what happened? Yeah, listen, I had a, I had a fantastic time all the way up until I was around 19 years of age. I listen, we won everything: the Premier League, the Premier League Academy Cup, the Youth Cup. We went around the world and won every tournament in. Dallas, in Ireland, in Italy, in France. And to be honest, Harry Redknapp was brilliant because he saw a group of us and he wanted to slowly lead us all in, slowly get us involved. But the biggest issue I had at West Ham was the fact that, yes, you had Joe and Joe started to get involved and play. Carrick started to get involved and play. But the year, the first year I was a pro, I remember it. it was it was unbelievable. Like you've done your two years as a YT, you've had so much success. You sign your new two-year pro contract. The first day you come in, you get your new squad number. I was number thirty-nine, and you, you get your new place to to change in the changing. I walk in. I've got Paolo Di Canio to my left, Thomas Repka to my right. Across from me is Rio and Frank, and you're thinking, yeah, this is this is what I've worked for, and now the the real work starts. And you've got to think at that time. That was my first season involved in the first team. So traveling around the country, training with the first team every day. We finished fifth in the Premier League. West Ham were a team that was there or thereabouts. On our day, we could beat anyone. And we we had world-class players. So as a young kid coming through, you're looking at an 18, 19-year-old that's got to bide his time and hope and pray for a chance for some injuries. We had Rio Ferdinand, Stuart Pearce, Ian Pearce. We had Igor Stimach, Javier Margas. Uh, Thomas Repka. There were so many players that were ahead of you. They're all internationals. Yeah, they're internationals. And that, and that was when West Ham finished fifth in the league. And you're thinking to yourself, if there's ever a time not to be a young player breaking through, it's now. But because Joe, Carrick and Defoe were at a supernatural level, to be honest, I don't think anything could have stopped them because Joe would have got into anything in the world. But for the rest of us, you know, it was it was a difficult time because don't get me wrong, it was unbelievable to train with those players every day, to travel around the country. You know, but you go to Ellen Road and Old Trafford and the Emirates, and then it's like you know you're the 18th man, or you're you know, you're planning the reserves, and then you you don't travel, and then you travel, and then you've got the Europa League ties, and you're, you're going up to the board and thinking, have you made the squad? 
don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm sounding like I, was un, I wasn't grateful. It was amazing. But then after, you know, a year, a year and a half, you're thinking, I want to play. I want to play. Like, you know, I want to be a player that's playing in front of a crowd. I want to play for three points because reserve team football is good. But I think when you start to creep into your 20s, you know, you start to think, I just want to go out and play. And um, Harry Redknapp left the club. Glenn Roder took over. Um, times changed. I think he went with a lot of experience. Uh, so Stuart Pearce and, and, and players like that. And I just felt like I needed to go out and play, to be honest. And, and that's what I really wanted to do. And, and it was difficult because the club were like, you know what, we want you to go out because you need to go out and play. But we, we kind of need you to stay just in case we have a few injuries. So I kind of, yeah, spent a, spent a while doing that. And then it got to the point where I was I just, just wanted to go and play. So I ended up going to Sheffield Wednesday um, towards the end of my contract. Because like I said, I just wanted the, the opportunity to go and play football. And I went into a championship with Sheffield Wednesday. It was it was gutting to me first time because I absolutely loved it. I loved the club. The people there were great. The fans were great. But after Harry left, I felt like it changed for us because like what, what with Alex Ferguson did with, with Class 92, you know, he had a long-term plan. He had these players and he thought, right, I'm going to slowly bring them in. I'll get rid of him and I'll give him more time. And, and he had that kind of pragmatic approach, that long-term approach. But with a change in management, um, new thoughts, new ideas come. And I just felt like I wasn't, um, wasn't sort of, really in the new manager's plan. So, you know, as a, as a 19-year-old, it's about going and playing football because at this time, you know, I was high profile because I was uh, you know, one of the very, very first British Asians to, to sort of be in a Premier League club, signing a Premier League contract. Was much made was, of that at the time? It was, but the club were quite good around it because they were like, they sort of protected me around it. They sort of, they wanted me to be known for the fact that I was a decent young football player. Because every all the media requests and everything they got about me was about Asians in football, Asians in football, and I think they wanted to highlight that, and they did. But I, I don't think, to be honest, they made enough about not just the fact that I was there, but about the fact that West Ham United are a club in the Premier League in an area which has a huge Asian community. I think they could have done more around that. Um, just to give hope and inspire some of the some of the local community, but to be honest, as a you know, as an eighteen, nineteen year old, you, you're kind of thinking, look, I just want to play. And, and to be honest, at that time, I thought I was going to play in the first team, play for England. That's all I was thinking about because my whole life would have been right. I'm going to sign for West Ham. I'm going to get a pro contract. I'm going to get into the first team. Then I'm going to play for England. That was just that was just how I thought. That was my mindset. And then when you have hiccups and, and you have to leave. It's difficult, but then the challenges that football present. And then, um, you know, after West Ham, it was it was tough because, you know, I had so many opportunities to go to so many different clubs. And I look back now and I think, wow, you know, if I'd only done that or only done this, you know, I ended up going to a team in a championship who gave me a long contract, a very good contract, wanted to get back into the Premier League, saw me as a big part of that future. Two, two and a half months later, pulled me into the office and basically said that the, the deal with ITV Digital that they had had fallen through and they put it on my contract and we wanted to renegotiate and, you know, on something that was totally different from what they first promised. So, again, it was about searching for first-team football because as a football player, you just want to play football. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to play football and really sort of 
kickstart my career. Um, and like I said, like, you know, you make these decisions. And I remember uh, the decision to go to, to Bristol Rovers on a left shift Wednesday. I was on a train to Swansea and um, I met Swansea the day before and they told me about their big plans for a new stadium. They wanted me to be part of a plan to get to the Premier League. They wanted to sign me and Leon Britton from West Ham. Leon ended up going and um, being there for like, I think he's still there. Um, and I was on the train and I was, I, I thought, you know what? This sounds really cool. I'm going to go. And then um, on the train halfway through, I got a call from Bristol Rovers and they said, um, we hear you're going to Swansea. I said, yes. They said, have you gone past Bristol yet? I said, no. They said, can you get off the train and, and chat to us? We, you know, we, we want to have a chat, at least hear us out before you go to Swansea. And it was funny because what they said to me was, if Swansea told you they're going to get a new, new stadium, if Swansea told you they're going to get the Premier yeah, don't believe them. They, they sell it to everyone. Um, and I ended up getting off the train and signing for Bristol Rovers. So um, that just shows like how, how like crazy football is. You know, you've got decisions and you go with your instincts, you go with where you think you're going to play. But, you know, if you'd have had a chose to go to another club, um, things would have been totally different. But ultimately, you know, the fact that you, you've, you've been in the game and I was in the game, I'm still in the game now, 23 years later, I think the decisions weren't that bad, but they could have definitely been different. Did you have um did you have management at the time? Um so on- Yes, yes, I had an I had an I had an agent from a from a young age um who was brilliant for me to be honest. He was uh, he was great. He had to it was it was strange for me because like there was a lot of stuff he had to deal with that you know was was away from the game that was great. You know, I I, I did lots of stuff. He helped with my education because when I went into West Ham, I, I did really well at school and I wanted to make sure that continued. So you know, little things like that, which, you know, agents wouldn't normally get involved in. But, you know, I went on to do A-levels, et cetera, uh, to complement my football because I just just wanted to do that. Um, but, yeah, no, I had I had lots of options and he was he was very, very busy. But like I said, you always, you always make decisions based on football. It was never like financial. It was never the size of the club. I just wanted to go somewhere where they wanted me to play. They They believed I could fit into their system it would be a place that would be enjoyable to play football there. And uh, Bristol Rovers, a massive club, you know, they were like, we want to build a team around you. We want you to come in. We want you to, you know, the club's been relegated. Um, we want to get back up into League One. We want you to play your start of the season. And we want loads of young players. And, and if, if what you want to do is play, come here and play. And hopefully, you know, you'll go back up the ladder. And that's exactly what happened. I went to Bristol Rovers played every single week for a few months. I had two offers to go back into the championship in the January transfer window. And then um, at Christmas, I had a horrific injury at Carlisle at home. Eight and a half minute, went to clear a ball. And that, yeah, that's literally changed the direction of my career afterwards because I was out for a year um, just before, obviously through that injury. And it was devastating because I had two contract offers on the table if, to go into the championship. And then, um, you know, that happens. And then it's about recovery and, and going back to square one. But again, it was a great experience. I loved my time at Bristol Rovers and just unfortunately, I got the injury and I was out for so long. Okay. Um, and so you spent, you spent the longest time, actually, so the reason I was asking about the agent, I mean, you've, you've had, you haven't had a huge number of clubs, but you've had several clubs where you've been on loan or been there permanently, et cetera. Did your agent ever, suggest to you that 
it was slightly harder to get you a club because you're an Asian or he just faced any kind of difficulties in that sense? Because obviously you're a professional and you're there and you're playing. To be honest, I mean, we never really had that discussion in that respect. Um, you know, he'd never said to me that there's, you know, that he feels like there's an issue or a barrier around that. To be honest, I've always been, and again, I, I, hopefully it's because of, of my ability, I've always, I've always had plenty of options. Whenever I've come to the end of my contract, I've had a lot of options to choose from. Um, because like I said, if you've had the education I've had, you know, through at West Ham, there's a lot of clubs that that know of you, you're on their radar. So I always was in a privileged position where I, I had I had good options. And um, for me, like I said, I, I was still at Bristol when I was going to stay. And my former manager still got a job at Dagenham and Redbridge. And because I had such a bad injury, I was out for a year and a half, you know, and I, I really struggled. Um, a surgeon who, who dealt with me in Harley Street, sort of he said to me that, that there is a chance that you won't play again um, or you won't be at your physical best uh, to the standard of a professional footballer player again. So for me, I, I felt like, you know what I need to do? I need to go back home to London, be around my family and maybe drop, drop a level just so I can get my head down and see if I can get back to my physical best, um, which is why I chose to go to Dagenham Redbridge. And you know what? I was happy there. It was brilliant. And every single year there was opportunities to maybe jump up a division, but I felt like I could take the club to the Football League. Um, five years later, you know, Dagenham and Redbridge, we, when I joined, we was a mid-table National League club. Five years later, we are in League One against teams like Sheffield Wednesday and Charlton. And I was the captain of the club. I played over 300-odd games. We won the National League with a record amount of points. We won the League Two playoff at Wembley. And you know, I walked up those steps and lifted that playoff trophy. And... For me, that that is that is an amazing achievement because, like Dagenham and Redbridge, if anyone's ever been to the club, if you talk about resources, if you're talking about you know punching above your weight, you know for that club to end up in League One was was an amazing story, and um, you know I'm absolutely delighted that I could be part of that. But that was kind of a a period I was consistently fit for. You now uh, the injuries were put behind me, and I could finally feel like I could just crack on with my career um, and that's where I had you know the most success because I felt like I was consistently fit um, so an unbelievable time at a great club and it was crazy because a lot of people asked me why are you going to Dagenham for like when I first joined I remember someone speaking to me and saying like do you realize that like Dagenham is like there's a there's a huge there's huge support for the BNP in in the Essex area there's a lot of racism in in that part of Essex you know, why would you as a British Asian go and play there? And I just, you know what, when, when people say stuff like that to me and, and I hear this sort of thing, it, it's, it's a crazy thing, but it gives me more enthusiasm and more, more motivation to go there and actually shine a light and, you know, just basically display what someone from the Asian community can bring to any club. Um, and that's what I did there. And I'd like to think that any Dagnum fan would be... Uh, would be would be appreciative of what I contributed to the club over the six year period I was there. Yeah, a, a fantastic period. All right, what was your highlight of because you had a lot of success at, at Daggers? To be honest, I mean, like we, um, I remember the year we won the league. It was so funny because uh, we were like sixty six to one to win the league, and um, 
I remember <laughs> I remember I was talking about this today with one of my, my colleagues. I remember saying to the manager, um, I was negotiating my contract and I said, right, if we win the league, uh, uh, can I have X? And he, he laughed at me and said, if you win the league, you can have Z, which was a lot higher than, than X. <laughs> and a year later, I knocked on his door and I said, um, remember that conversation we had, which he said he didn't remember. Um, but I reminded him because it was in a small print. But like, it was just an impossible dream. It was like, there's no way we can do this. And as the season progressed, we kept winning. And we didn't have good players. We had players from all over the place, divisions below. But what we had was the spirit, camaraderie. Uh, it was just an unbelievable time. And we ended up, I think, exceeding 100 points. Um, and we went into the Football League and, and it didn't stop there. So, obviously, to win any division as a captain is a highlight. And obviously, to lift a trophy at Wembley, you know, you see that so many times on the FA Cup every year and, you know, all these superstars that, that get to do that. You always wonder, I wonder what that's like. And being a captain of, of more or less what I think every team I've played for, I'm lucky to have experienced that, you know, with the with West Ham at the FA Youth Cup and at West Ham we won loads of stuff. But yeah, to have that at Dagenham, like mainstream football at senior level, it's it's an amazing thing. And, and going back to, you know, being a British Asian to do something like that. I just think it's important because like to have a British Asian walk up the steps at Wembley and lift a trophy, like that's a big thing for us because it's never happened before. And um, I just think it gives people that, that kind of confidence to show you that it can happen and, and it will happen. It will happen again and it will continue to happen. So it was just nice to be, you know, part of, um, the present day that can hopefully positively affect the future. So at that time, were you, were you aware that you were the first, because I guess it was for Dagenham that you were the first Asian to, to captain a league team. W- were you aware of that? And did you feel any kind of responsibility or weight on your shoulders to represent Asian, especially what you've said, given Dagenham and I mean, listen, I've grown up around that area. I know what it's like. And and yeah, it's, it may not be completely true that it's full of BMP, but there are pockets of it there, etc. Yeah, listen, like I said, around Dagenham, like, I had no idea what Dagenham was like, but these are the kind of anecdotal things things you, people used to say to me before I was going to sign for a club. And I was like, listen, the fans at Dagenham and the area and the community and the people at Dagenham were unbelievable to me. They literally embraced me like a hero. Um and that surprised people because of, like I said, what what the stereotype or what people thought of of the people in the area, of the fans. And yeah, for me, like I can only talk on my experiences and, and literally I couldn't speak highly of the fans. They were unbelievable to me and to this day still are. In terms of responsibility, I feel like I've been responsible to be a positive role model for the Asian community ever since I started to kick a ball. The reason I say that is because... I've been in environments where people haven't been around a British Asian football player. In fact, I've been in environments where people haven't been around British Asian people. So for me, everyone I talk to, everyone I play with or against, it's an opportunity to actually give them an impression of who we are and what we're about. You know, British Asian people, like my, my family, my community, we're honest people, we're hardworking, we're humble. And I don't think that people 
in the 80s and 90s in East London and people I came across understood or knew that. They were basing their opinions on lazy stereotypes, negative experiences, and the people they would come across. And let's face it, the bulk of people that the general public would come across in their in their lives in some parts of the country would be people that work in an Indian restaurant, people that work in corner shops, people that work in petrol stations. And, you know, you can't judge people on limited experiences. You can't judge people based on something you're reading about or hearing about. You judge people based on your experiences with them by learning about them, being part of them, being with them, living with them. So to be honest, I still feel responsible to be a positive role model for the Asian community today, just like I have done my whole life. And I think it's really important that we do so. I want to live in a world where it doesn't matter, but currently and throughout my life, I feel like people don't fully understand the community in which I'm from and I'd love them to get to know who we are. And when people understand that, like all my teammates and the people I've worked with, I'd like to think that they've got a positive impression of me and the community in which I'm from, because like I said, like I'm proud of my culture. I'm proud of who I am. And there's so much about us that I think are so positive. And we can bring so much positivity to any working organisation, any team. And I just wanted to highlight that. And um, and listen, I've captained every single football club that I've played for. So I'd like to think that when I step into an environment, they see me as someone who wants to lead that environment. You know, and the fact that I'm British Asian, you know, and they're asking me to be their leader, to be their captain. Um, for me, has always been a privilege. And I think I've, I've tried as hard as I can to give people a positive impression of what a British Asian person, forget football player, what a British Asian person is all about over the last two or three decades. The, remember, you can pop in any point with a question. Why? Okay, so what I get from listening to you, and this is partly from other stuff and also what we talked about just before we started recording, is that responsibility it doesn't sound like it's a weight at all, but it's kind of like extra incentive, extra motivation. Is is that how you describe it? Or are there times, I mean, listen, be honest. Is there times when you feel it's a bit of a, a weight around your neck? To be honest, it's when I was younger, it was a weight around the neck. Um, but ultimately, it's sink or swim. It's, it's a mindset, isn't it? It's like if you look at something, your glass is either half full or half empty. I was a football player that was starting out in my career in the mid-90s. I was probably the only one. I was an anomaly. So if you're the only one, obviously it's not going to be ideal. You're going to hear things. You're going to see things. It's going to be a little strange because you are, you are the first. You are you know, leading the way. You are in a unique position but someone's got to do that someone still has to do it and I always I always feel like pressure is a privilege like I speak to the management here before big games we played Notts County the other day and it was a big game because we'd lost the game before they're a massive club I sat there and I thought pressure is a privilege pressure is a privilege like what a great opportunity to be in here thinking about worrying that we have to beat Notts County tomorrow what great opportunity this is. And for me, it's about how you see it. Listen, it's not ideal, but that's the world we live in. It's the time in which we live in that world. There are some major issues with our society. There are some major issues with some of the people that live in our society. But that's not going to dictate what I do in my life. That, I didn't want that to get in the way of who I wanted to be. 
And to be honest, what a privilege and what an opportunity to be the first of anything. You know, the fact that, you know, I did what I did and I'm still in the game is the reason why, you know, I get the opportunity to speak to you two on, the, on this podcast. Because to be honest, if I, if I stopped playing football, I don't think I'd be speaking to you today. So it's given me that opportunity. And when I was a kid, I, I knew that. I thought, wow, what, what an opportunity to, to be known, to have a legacy, to make an imprint in history. You know, what a great thing to tell my kids, like, look what I've done. And that piece, and I didn't need motivation to be a winner um, because I've always felt like a winner. But you know, what a great thing to have and to, and kind of, and to have behind you. Um, and that, that's, listen, it wasn't like that initially. When I was young, I struggled with it a little bit. But ultimately, it's going to make or break you. And I didn't want it to break me. So, you know, it, it's helped me become the man I am today. And well, I have a question. Um, when, listen to your journey. There's so much that we can learn from it, all aspects, like how you dealt with injuries, how you dealt with moving to different clubs, going down divisions. But what I want to know was, you mentioned about uh, the first time you came across uh, Zesh Rehman was at under-19 level. At the time, you guys were all coming through, like yourself, uh, Harpal Singh, Adnan Ahmed, Zesh. Was there any connection uh, between you guys to create some kind of support network or were there any efforts made for you guys to get in touch with each other and keep in touch because obviously like you said it wasn't an anomaly at the clubs you were at but even we all talk about when you're when you're a collective you're stronger were, were there any efforts made like that in, in any part of the early part of your career yeah for me definitely I mean I've to be honest I've always been a kind of guy that I think your network is key and your network can help you it can it can support who you are and what you do. Um, I remember when I met Zesh, I was like, this is brilliant, like, because I just feel like when I was asked a question, so Anwar, why is the lack of Asians in football in coaching? I was saying the same answer for years and years and years. And I, and I was saying that, you know, I feel like it's going to change because the community has so much to offer and we're going to start to see more and more players playing football in this country. Let's not forget, listen, it's extremely difficult. It's so hard. Add to that all the barriers, it is, it is a difficult thing to do. But it was great to start to see and hear of people like Zesh, Harpal, Michael Chopra, Adnan Ahmed, and every single opportunity I had to speak to, to, to connect with, I did because, like I said, and I always, I always try to and I always continue to do so today, if there's a player who's playing at grassroots level, playing for a local team, if there's a player playing in a Premier League team, if you want my help, if you want to have a chat, if there's anything I can do for you or if there's anything you know we can do together, listen, everyone, I think my number's out there in the ether. Everyone knows it. Give me a call. I'm, I'm happy to help anyone. And I think that was important for me because, you know what, like, it is hard being on your own. It is hard being you know, a young player asking these questions and, and thinking about all these other things that are in addition to being a football player. So, yeah, to have that support network was great. It was refreshing to see some some new players. And you know what? These are amazing guys. I, I keep in contact with them all, um, all the time. And even the players that didn't make it, the players that played in the Football League, Shahed Ahmed, there's, there's loads of them. Like, I, I personally think that, yeah, there's issues. But I think the Asian community, I think our us as a community, we don't do enough to support our own community. And that's just me being honest. 
if people think I'm critical. To be honest, that's my opinion. But it's about, it's a two-way street. Yes, there's football can do better. There's a lot of problems in our society. But as a community, we need to support each other more. Um, and like, What, what you know, sort of support got, would you like to see? So, for example, there are players now, Asian players, that are playing in non-league, that are playing in the football league. No one really talks about them. I think they're doing amazing work because all the issues that we talk about that we highlight that's in the Premier League, in the EFL, in schools, these players still have to deal with and they're still out there. They're in changing rooms. They're having successful careers. But because they're not in the Premier League or playing for England, it's as if, oh, yeah, but they're only playing in non-league. That is an achievement. That is something that we need to shout about because you know what? They're a role model. They might be playing in some random league in the northwest of England, but they still might be one of the only young Asian players playing in some random league in the northwest of England. So they need to be highlighted and supported. And I think, you know, the narrative I always hear is there's a lack of, there's problems. I totally agree with that, which is why I do what I do in my day job, because I want to provide solutions for those problems and I want to help. But... I also feel that it needs to be a balance. And one of those balances should be, do, do people know that between myself, Zesh Rehman, Yan Danda, Danny Bart, Hamza Chowdhury, Adnan Ahmed, Shahed, the list goes on. You can probably collectively look at about 600 to 1,000 football league appearances. I've never heard that narrative, you know. And I don't think we do enough to support and acknowledge some of the hard work that some of our young Asian players have achieved. And I'm not just talking about the ones that are playing in the EFL. I'm talking about the ones that are playing in non-league. I'm talking about grassroots teams. How many amazing young coaches from the Asian community that are spending hours and hours of their time coaching, giving back to the local community, coaching young kids, coaching their daughters, coaching their sons? I don't think we make enough of the people that are investing time and effort and energy to try and contribute towards positive change. I, I don't think we do. Um, and that's why, you know, when there are platforms out there that highlight that, when, when that's acknowledged, for me, that's good because we need to, because we're all in this together. You know, we are all in this together and we need to help each other because if we don't or we continue doing what we're doing, we are going to get the same results. So things need to change. Um, and, and, I, and, I'm, and, I'm, and, I, and I'm encouraged by, by the way things are at the moment. Like, this is a topical issue now that people are discussing. There's podcasts, there's websites, there's different platforms, there's organisations that are looking at this as, a, as an issue, but not with a negative mindset. They're looking at it and going, okay, what can we do about this? But it's great now that we've got some positive stories to actually look at and highlight uh, throughout the game. And that's male and female. Yeah, fantastic. And I think, look, listen, it's one of the reasons why we've got this podcast is because there are Asians involved in football, but they're disparate. And we need to tell the stories and encourage encourage ourselves as much as everyone else to support each other and just to highlight people and role model. And that's why I wanted Z as my co-host, because his, his accounts at Desi Ballers on Twitter and at Desi B-A-L-L-R-S I know it now Z on Instagram that's what we're, we're trying to do 